0: Law 360's weekly podcast. I'm your host Amber McKinney, and I'm here with my co-hosts Bill Donahue.
1: hello, hello,
2: and
0: Alex Lawson. Hey guys, guys! Big SCOTUS week this week, and a giant day today of the Supreme Court. Uh, we report on Thursdays. We're gonna break down some of those big cases.
1: It feels like the end of uh, like the end of a year in high school, where you have summer summer break ahead of you. That's I right. Mean, we have to keep working, but like <laughs> yes, it, I'm gonna you know. sign your yearbook. Well, and, keep in well
2: touch. and this is this is like a school year where you had a couple snow days, uh, and then you got tacked on. You know, later sure. in the week you're ending the school year on a Thursday. I don't know what's yeah. up with that. Well, but yes, that's what happened.
1: We're gonna break down all the big rulings uh, that came out this week. Sort of a whirlwind week of rulings, but we would be remiss if we did not mention yeah. The latest update in the Duncan Hunter case. We've
2: got another Duncan Hunter update. Uh, If you'll recall, last time, Duncan Hunter is a congressman from California, the Republican, who uh, has been indicted for uh, misappropriating campaign funds on personal expenses. When we last... Talked about this case. His own wife had flipped on him, right. and started cooperating with federal prosecutors. And now, perhaps that's coming into focus a little bit more. Why maybe she did that? Yes, there was a, there were new documents uh, sort of presented by the Justice Department in the case um, by prosecutors uh, that revealed that he had. I am not looking at he had had he used the money to facilitate a, uh, romantic affairs with um, a couple of
1: legislative it was staffers. Like, it, it was like double black diamond euphemism. Yeah. Like, it was like true master class euphemisms where it was like like a a intimate moment at which yeah, time- right. like-
0: Well, I would like to point out the last time we sort of just were chatting about this at the top of a show, Alex and I both got into a discussion about <laughs> like- at what point would you turn on your spouse that you love a lot? This and, alters the calculus th- somewhat, very much. It was like a couple immediately
2: of immediately if this is the issue. Con- one of his own aides, a GOP leadership aide, and I think a couple of lobbyists, perhaps, mm. which wow. is like again like a sort of it's like a, it's like a caricature of a of, right. an, of an allegedly corrupt uh, congressman. I'm starting <laughs> so, to think
1: this Duncan Hunter guy isn't all he's been cracked up to be. Uh, certainly not all he's alleged to have been cracked up to be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, so all right, uh, right. Well, we'll keep we'll keep an eye. Well, on I it. mean, we because I mean that's all
2: we. I mean. We must, if, if if this kind of stuff keeps happening, yes.
1: <laughs> because we must. Because, uh, because we
2: must.
0: As big as that feels, it's not as big as the cases we want to talk about today. No, let's, so let's get on.
1: right into it. The, the first one we're going to talk about was actually last week. Um, it's so funny. You mentioned it up top, but like... Monday was supposed to be the last day. Yeah. And they yeah. just and th- I mean this happens every year, so it's sort of like we all get men in black flashy thing and forget that this happens every <laughs> year, but like they added more days as the week went along. But we got some big ones last week, the first of which was uh Gundy versus United States, which we've talked about a ton of times on the podcast. This was the case about it was about that sex offender registry, the federal sex offender registry. Um and and the reason people were watching it was because the case potentially gave the Courts conservatives uh, an opportunity to strike a blow at federal regulations at the at the you know the thing that is somewhat pejoratively known as the administrative state. Right. Um, ultimately, the ruling that we got on Thursday did not do that. Um, the court's liberals were joined by Justice Samuel Alito, it's something of a trend this term, you know, when we were looking at uh, a, a much more conservative court. Yep. We saw a couple of big cases where one conservative would hop over for various reasons. But so the the court's liberals and Alito declined to uh, uh, invoke this thing that everyone was talking about, which was the, the non-delegation doctrine. Mm-hmm. Um, and... The the you know that that rule would allow that the court to strike down a regulation saying this is an agency that Congress gave its legislating power to a federal agency and that's against the rules improper delegation of the separation of powers. Exactly. So um, the court did not invoke that did not revive it. It hasn't been used in a long time. And the court said we're not going to do so here. The key quote was Justice Kagan quote it falls well within constitutional bounds indeed if this delegation is unconstitutional then most of the government is unconstitutional so um well you, observed <laughs> you could read that as saying like this these are bad facts to re- revive it and perhaps they will in the future and um that's sort of what we can take as the takeaway because um uh, Kavanaugh didn't take part yeah. in this yeah. case. Yeah, it was five to um, three. And Alito wrote a concurring opinion that said, look, like, this is not a situation where I think I can do this. But in a future case, who knows? Oh, yeah. So I mean, He he literally said if there were
2: a majority of the court that would strike this down, I would support that majority. Exactly. But there wasn't one because there was
1: only uh, four conservatives voting. Exactly. Yes. So it's um, I, I don't think the story on non-delegation Definitely is over not. for now.
0: Well, let's turn to the next one I want to talk about, where the story is over. This one gave us a more complete answer to some trademark questions.
1: This in case. <laughs> hey! It's one we've been watching for a long time. What a, what a firebrand of, of political legal news podcasting. So this was the case, uh, this was Ianku v. Bernetti, yeah. uh, as I alluded to with my crass intro there. Yes. Um, it was the case about curse words and trademarks and free speech, namely the idea of this weird old rule that, um, that, that said that the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office shouldn't register any trademarks that involve, quote, immoral or scandalous material, which is a very silly Law. Yeah, it definitely uh, makes
0: you think of like ladies like clutching their pearls, exactly. banning themselves
1: in the <laughs> yeah. courthouse. Exactly. So the court this week uh, struck down that rule. They relied heavily on a ruling two summers ago that struck down a very similar provision that banned uh, racist terms. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the Redskins case that everyone will remember. Um, the justice said that this rule violated the First Amendment for pretty much the exact same reason as the the earlier rule that um, it, it discriminates against. Particular types of viewpoints; it deprived the 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 value of a trademark registration based on a particular viewpoint.
0: And this wasn't a huge surprise. I mean, you had said on the podcast when we yeah, talked you about were it before, like one. you knew kind of the way this was leaning. But um, it is nice to have a real definitive answer here.
1: Yeah, and there's all sorts of like interesting in the weeds First Amendment and trademark stuff. But um, the key quote I thought that really summed up the the message of the opinion again from Justice Kagan quote. The statute, on its face, distinguishes between two opposed sets of ideas, those aligned with conventional moral standards and those hostile to them, those inducing societal nods of approval and those provoking offense and condemnation. The statute favors the former and disfavors the latter. So it 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 was this idea of, you know, we're not – the First Amendment says that you're not allowed to discriminate based on particular viewpoints. And giving offense, being scandalous, being immoral, doing the things that society has deemed to be outside the norm is itself a viewpoint. And that's not a thing that we're allowed to condition a federal benefit on. So, so, where,
2: so where does this leave us in the Wild West of – crazy you know copyright protections yeah trademark, trademark.
1: trademark protections
2: put a dollar in the jar for me
1: sorry. <laughs> <laughs> all right so i i wrote an interesting story about the this week uh well i mean it I, was oh, wow. I fine. Hope it was an interesting
0: story it was <laughs> yeah, i mean, it.
2: you've had
1: better and worse i suppose yikes. like uh yeah. yikes um <laughs> uh that that so Justice Sotomayor wrote a big dissent that said, look, this is going to like lead to all sorts of this rush on the trademark office for all sorts of terrible things. And I talked to trademark lawyers who basically said, like, look, like th- this. Th- th- yes, like there's going to be a rush of people who go to the trademark office and try to register just like the silliest things possible. But a lot of those are going to be refused for all sorts of like just technical trademark reasons. Like they right. don't function as trademarks. And in a broader sense, like. This ruling isn't going to change public perception of these things. If if anything, we're at a time when we find, you know, curse words are fine, but like racist imagery, hateful imagery, violent imagery, the market couldn't be more opposed to that. And a a, a few people in robes saying that, like, you can now get a trademark registration for it isn't going to change the way that the market views those And the whole
0: point is that these are about brands. So if the brand is kind of dead on arrival for the public... It, this doesn't matter if they can register it or not.
1: Exactly. I talked to one trademark attorney who just said, "Like, look, this isn't going to change what you see in the mall. This isn't going right. to change what you see when you're walking down the street. It's not. It's it's not that kind of ruling." Yeah. Um, so,
0: okay, Bill, let's get into the third one you have for us today.
1: Yeah, the third one was another. You know, it was another administrative law question, which isn't always the most interesting.
0: But they have such broad impact. So I actually was really into this. They do.
1: So this one was Kaiser v. Wilkie, which came out uh, yesterday on Wednesday. And um, this was a case about how much leeway the courts should give to uh, federal regulatory agencies when they interpret their own regulations. Uh, It's like I said up top, it's a pretty boring sounding thing, but it 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 hits on so many different types of rules and regulations that obviously impact Americans every day.
2: Much like Gundy it has it has stakes for the regulatory sort of yeah,
1: you know, architecture. And that's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to talk about right now because as we've mentioned many times, the court now is composed of more folks who are Looking for ways to rein in that re- the regulations and the regulatory state, so it is uh, it's it's part of a part of a bigger trend. But so how would this one go? So this was another sort of surprising win for the liberal end of the court. We again saw a conservative jump over and form a five judge majority. Uh, the court declined to overturn this. Uh, deference, this long standing precedent that says you have to give a certain amount of deference in certain types of situations yeah. to the way that a regulatory agency has interpreted their own uh, regulations. But the ruling was, it, it was, it, it, it limited when. That when you should use that deference, so it was still a scaling back of right. um, the amount of leeway that you give to. to so basically, your, to they agencies. didn't completely
0: knock out that the agencies have that in their toolbox, but they said you can only use it in limited ways.
1: That's exactly right. And so the quote, and um, we're doing Justice Kagan again. She wrote. She wrote all three of these Kagan Kagan Corner, as yeah, Amber said I earlier. Did. <laughs> um, uh, quote. Deference retains an important role in construing agency regulations, but even as we uphold it, we reinforce its limits, and then slightly further along in the opinion, quote, the deference doctrine we describe is potent in its place, but cabined in its scope. So it, it was it was a it seemed like a conscious effort, you know, by the By the courts, liberals to say, "Look, we this needs to stay. This precedent needs to stay in place, but um, we're willing to put in these sort of restrictions on when you can use it and how it works." And um, so, like I said, it's it was a it was a win. It was in in the immediate sense, it was a win for the liberals in the fact that this deference was not overturned. um, but it still gave courts more teeth to undo federal regulations when they yeah. want to that you know that that this deference is more cabined it's more limited and um, the chief justice wrote a really interesting concurrence that said because he was the one who jumped over to the liberal oh, side yeah. should have mentioned that earlier and he said justice gorsuch who wrote a really sort of strongly worded dissent no surprise there he yeah. said the the chief said there isn't that much space between what Justice Kagan just laid out in terms of all these different limits on the way that you use this deference and what Justice Gorsuch wants, which is to overturn the entire thing. So was it a win for the liberals? It's, it's, a, it's an interesting sort of look at like what this ruling really meant and how it'll be used in the future.
0: For our main segment today, we're going to talk about two giant cases that the Supreme Court decided just today. Today is Thursday when we record. And I'm going to tell you guys all about the first one um, because I've been following it very closely. It's the Supreme Court blocking adding the citizenship question to the 2020 census. Right.
2: Yeah. This has been swirling in the news for a while. Arguably, yeah.
1: yeah. Arguably the closest swatch case of the term. I would say so. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So they did block that question, but they did. a pretty complicated opinion where they sent the case back down to the lower court and instructed the Commerce Department to clear up discrepancies in their explanation for why they wanted the question in the first place. Yeah, you we
1: know. can sort of tease I mean we're gonna get into it, but you know, they said that some of this doesn't doesn't add up. Some That's it, exactly yeah, right. right.
0: Well, before we really get into the nuts and bolts of what they did today, I do wanna just sort of table set here about why this is so important and why it was so closely watched. Yeah. Um, the figures gathered as part of the census determine how billions of dollars are allocated um, to states and communities. And all that population data determines how many seats that um, end up in the House of Representatives for every yeah. state. So it's, the stakes couldn't really be higher. And the fear going and it, into And this, it only
2: happens every 10 years. It's not right. like, oh, well, we messed it up this year. So it's mm-hmm. like it sets the table for a decade of policymaking yep. and electoral politics.
0: And the big fear in adding the citizenship question. Was that it was going to depress response rates? That yes. households that have undocumented immigrants, so either the undocumented people themselves, or even these mixed-status households sure. where it's like one partner right. is a citizen and the other is undocumented, that they just wouldn't complete it, and so it would be a massive undercount in the population, and that that was going to strip money and congressional representation mm-hmm. primarily from Democratic areas. Right.
1: That was the that was the baseline thing for why people were watching this. That they viewed it as a as a, a partisan move.
0: Absolutely.
2: Right. So where did we come down on the on the what I guess is the the question of the question? What did they say about (laughs) the
0: question of the question about the
2: citizenship? I like that. Thank you.
0: Yeah. So Roberts wrote the opinion um, and it really boiled down to this. Did Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross his stated reason for that question? Yeah. And his stated reason was to bolster DOJ's enforcement of the Voting Rights Act. Did Mm -hmm. that hold water? That's Mm -hmm. what they had to decide. Yes. And the majority found that this explanation was, quote, contrived. Mm-hmm. um it's a pretty strong word from Roberts writing this opinion yeah he said basically that when you look at all the evidence in the record it showed that Ross set out to include this question in his very first weeks in office that was before he ever even discussed the issue with the Department of
2: Justice yeah yeah that they he had talked about it with Steve Bannon and a couple other White House White House people right and then like approached the DOJ basically after the fact trying to sort of concoct a Voting rights yeah. act uh, justification So here's
0: a quote from Roberts on that. Viewing the evidence as a whole, we share the district court's conviction that the decision to reinstate a citizenship question cannot be adequately explained in terms of DOJ's request for improved citizenship data to better enforce the VRA. Several points considered together reveal a significant mismatch between the decision the secretary made and the rationale he provided.
2: And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the closest you'll get to the Supreme Court. Court Chief Justice calling the Commerce Secretary a liar. Yeah, it, is. it, was, it was. It is. I so mean, it's pretty bold. There's a as line, far as these yeah. things Yeah, I mean, as far as those things,
1: go, there was yes. a line where Roberts quoted from an earlier opinion that said something to the effect of, "We are not required to have to to impose a naivete on ourselves sure, that yeah. a normal right? person viewing these facts would would not be constrained by." And it's it's so interesting, and like you said you can sort of read between the lines of Without what he's saying. I mean, yes. it's. Too, I mean, we mentioned euphemism before. It's, yes. It's, yeah. Yeah. And I
0: also want to point out one more thing. We've talked yeah. about this case several times on the podcast, and the last time we discussed it a few episodes ago, we had a whole discussion about how there was additional evidence about uh, essentially what was a Republican plot to get this on the census. Yes. Um, that From came beyond to the light. grave. That's right. It came to light because there was this Republican electoral um, scholar guy who... Um, this operative passed away, and he'd conducted a study that found if you add this question, it will boost Republican voting power. Yeah. And then he'd worked with administration officials to try to put this plan in action. Yeah. yeah. Caused it, a storm it,
2: in the lower courts. It did.
0: But it yeah. appears that the Supreme Court didn't even consider that. So they got to this point of more or less saying Ross was lying about his rationale based on other things in the administrative oh, record. Very interesting. It wasn't even about that very cinematic revelation that we discussed. I think it, I think yeah.
1: coming in here, I thought that they had in, like, considered yeah. that. Yeah. Wow. It, so very
2: interesting. It was a pretty compelling evidentiary record on that point, even before that happened. That's right. That's why we said this was that revelation was so, like you say, cinematic and over the top. But yes.
1: But so the so the they they said that they need to offer a better explanation but did they say that they they can't they did they rule substantively that they can't put this on there
0: this is perhaps the most interesting part to talk about so i said right up top they blocked it from the census but then because they sent it back there's all these other parts where no they didn't say that the sent that the commerce department can't do this so i think this is going to be a little undercovered what actually happened here they basically said it's not so much what ross did but it's the way he did it was the problem. Yeah. So the court said Ross hadn't violated the census act or the constitution by adding this question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they went on to say the census act gives um, secretaries broad authority to conduct the census at their discretion and they they nodded to the idea that there's federal laws that put some limits on that discretion, but Ross had chosen to look at the advice of census bureau experts who said this was going to depress turnout and cause some problems. And weigh it against getting the citizenship data that he said was useful in other ways in the um, federal government. So they said Ross has the ability to weigh two factors and yeah. come out the way he did. So that basically means if he had done this in a more transparent way and didn't have a rationale that they didn't believe. They would have upheld this question on the census.
2: Yeah, they they basically said he violated like administrative law, which is like when yes. you make new rules and make new additions to things. Like you need the reasons that you do those things need to be on the up and up, and you yes, need to be transparent, transparent about what you do. But yeah, there was also like you say, there's also a constitutionality question before the court, and that went that went in the government's favor. So, like, but
1: so you know, now it's what's happening now. Now yes. it heads back to they remanded so it
0: goes back to a lower court, and here's where timing becomes really important. Yes. So the commerce department is going to have the chance to clarify why it decided to put that question on the census and they're going to do that at the district court level. But they probably won't have time to get that all done before the agency is set to start printing the census documents which happens as soon as Monday.
1: And also they can't go back in time. I mean you can't you can't th- the record contains the evidence that that, that this that It was pretextual so it's and now you're papering over it with like right it's hard to know
2: what the reason would
1: now be it's hard (laughs) it's hard to imagine undoing that record
0: i i had a a long chat before we came in to record with our senior immigration reporter nicole norea who's been writing all about this and is writing some analysis for us today and she told me everyone she's talked to is basically predicting what we're talking about it would be really difficult for the administration to explain themselves get a green light from a district court also, win other pending cases at lower courts right, that mm-hmm. still exist and still print the census in time. I mean, it's a matter of days. But, of course, because this case is wild, guys, and yeah. we're going to talk about it forever. Um, Trump did tweet about this today and about the deadline specifically. So, of course, he was unhappy with the Supreme Court ruling. And in a series of tweets, he had the following to say. I have asked the lawyers if they can delay the census no matter how long until the United States Supreme Court is given additional information from which it can make a final and decisive decision on this very critical matter. So, um, that was a
1: good Trump impression.
0: He's trying to keep it real neutral. He actually, that's pretty well written considering how some tweets are hard to parse, but that right. part was pretty clear. Um, what exactly does this mean, though? Becomes the question Does he mean delay the actual April 1st date of the the actual census when, when it all happens, yeah. or does he de- mean delay printing the forms? Like The forms are supposed to be printed at the end of June. Mm-hmm. Um, it's unclear what he means by that, but the administration has hinted in a few ways that they maybe could delay that printing date. As far as yes. October, yeah. um, mm-hmm. they say it'd be very, very difficult to do that, but it's possible, so we're going to have to wait and see here to see if they really do delay and try to work this out in lower courts.
1: Yeah. It's fu- it's funny the 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 way that the court, you know, it's this very sort of nuts and bolts and dry institution, but they do tend to have a flair for the dramatic when it comes to the end of the term. Not and a doubt. this uh, the ruling we were just talking about was not the only ruling today that had sort of sweeping electoral implications going forward. So, what was the other one, Alex?
2: Yeah, um, it's uh, it's about partisan gerrymandering, which we've talked about several times um, on the show. And basically, the big takeaway today is if you've got a problem with partisan gerrymandering, do not go to court over it. (laughs) Uh, The Chief Justice, John Roberts, uh, he joined the rest of the conservative bloc and made it very clear on Thursday. Federal courts do not have the authority to weigh in on the practice of drawing sort of preferential, politically preferential
1: congressional maps. It's a really complex question that involves the word judiciable uh, yes, but <laughs> uh, but before we get into all the intricacies of the actual ruling um, let's do like a little reset on gerrymandering itself Definitely.
2: as a concept so i mean the the idea of gerrymandering is literally i mean it's funny like politic like this has been cast as partisan gerrymandering or political gerrymandering as we understand the term that's kind of uh redundant because like right. the, the gerrymandering the, where the term comes from is literally Drawing political maps to, uh, you know, hurt one political party and help another. Right. Um, but you know, it's as old as the nation itself, basically. And it's there's basically a couple different strategies. If you are a state legislature drawing your congressional map, you either can. You know, pack all the constituents who might vote against you into one place and dilute their their voting power that way. Yeah. Or split them up into all different districts so they don't have enough power to win. Right. Any they'll, one district. they will be forty
1: percent in a bunch of different. Yeah. Districts. Right. Exactly.
2: Right. So that's how it goes, and this has been going on for, uh, like I say, a very long time. Um, it has, as you know, political divides have deepened. Uh, the act, the 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 way that gerrymandering has been carried out has become a lot more aggressive, right. And there have been a handful of cases that have come up to the court and they have generally been reluctant to really take a stand. They've either punted or they've sidestepped. There's a question about whether actual political map writing is even legal this way. right. They have mostly said, yes, it is. Um, But then in 2004, the former justice, Anthony Kennedy, he wrote a dissenting opinion in a gerrymandering, or a concurring opinion in a gerrymandering case, where he basically said there might be, I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said there might be some way for us, the court, to write some kind of standard that could tell us when this practice, which we say is okay, has gone too far legally. Um, And so it's through that lens that I think it's important to look at uh, the decision that came down today was actually in two different cases, and they deal with, Two different instances of gerrymandering, one that that involved a map written to help Republicans in North Carolina and written to help Democrats in Maryland um, and whether those state legislatures went too far when they were writing those maps. Um, And so uh, that's where we landed today. That's how we sort of got these cases. One of these cases was actually up in the last term. And like I say, they, they punted it. And here we are.
1: And it's such a big question, not only because what you said about the increasing sort of political partisan rancor, but also the ability to use technology to make these much more effective and make gerrymandering a much more potent weapon to sort of pick and choose your voters. And And there
0: was also like some notion that 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 same technology that makes this a more potent, like problematic thing that's happening, that same technology could be used to figure out standards for when things had gone too far. Definitely,
2: definitely. Um, Well... Every time we talk about this, we always end on some note of like it's very, very politically complicated, very technical, uh, not an easy problem to solve. You're talking about like sort of weeding into like the the bowels of state legislatures mm-hmm. and map writing and all of this stuff. Uh, it is, in fact, so. Uh, convoluted and complicated that the Supreme Court has just taken a pass uh, waiting until just about the last seconds of the term uh, Roberts basically said um, that this is a political process this is a polit- political gerrymandering partisan gerrymandering whatever you want to say this is the way the political system works and it is not within the remit of the federal judiciary to address it um, again this is, uh, this is the, the key quote from Roberts partisan gerrymandering claims present political questions beyond the reach of the federal courts Federal judges have no license to reallocate political power between the two major political parties with no plausible grant of authority in the Constitution and no legal standards to limit and direct their decisions. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, much of Roberts' majority opinion, and like I said, he was firm part- party line such as it is, um, funny to talk about that in this context, but um, about the very nuts and bolts of politics and the way that you know the political process works is not something that the lone unelected branch of the federal government should be wading into, which was um, pretty interesting. He had a long um, bit about the framers and how they were very aware of the idea of politically motivated map writing, and they didn't write any instructions against it, Um, and again nodded to the precedents that I have already referenced here saying, we definitely think this is okay uh, as a practice, and I can't imagine us being able to write a standard that could rein it in so I'm not going to bother.
0: <laughs> um, I mean, this all rests on the political question doctrine, and that's the yeah. thing everyone has to learn in law school, and then you don't really think about it a lot. It just doesn't come up much. So I was honestly surprised this is how this turned out today. It revived all this knowledge in my head of like, oh, I didn't even think about them doing this because they had, like you said they they punted on it last year, and I really thought we'd get something more definitive this year. Yeah, it is, I, it is definitive. I, they definitively I, said courts can't address yeah. this now. I mean, I
2: wasn't I mean, the the outcome is surprising, but yes, I was surprised that it took this long to come up with not even just saying like we can't touch it. Like I you yeah. know, it's beyond our remit as he said on several occasions. Um but we did get um obviously it was a 5-4 uh conservative liberal split, so there was a pretty um striking uh, dissent. Uh, again from Elena Kagan, uh low-key star of the show today. Yeah. Uh, we thank you, Justice Kagan, for all your support. Um the, uh, you know, for all of Roberts, Roberts was worrying about that there would be no way for uh, the courts to write a cogent standard, yep. to to draw a line of draw a line uh, almost like you were drawing on a map um about what is and is not sort of good political gerrymandering versus what's bad political gerrymandering, right? And she was like, um, she basically said she noted that both of the appeals courts uh, in these two cases that were before the court, uh, struck down the maps. And so she basically said at a couple yeah. different points, it was like they drew some standards and applied them. Th- those seem OK to us. I don't know why they're not OK to you. Um, she also more broadly, she talked about the bigger picture questions and what it means for the democratic system of electoral politics that we've been hinting at here Um She read her opinion from the bench today, uh, got very emotional at one point, um, a pretty powerful moment in the courtroom by all accounts of people who were there. Um, She said uh, the gerrymandered maps in the case is, quote, uh, deprived citizens of the most fundamental of their constitutional rights, the rights to participate equally in the political process, to join with others to advance political beliefs, and to choose their political representatives. Uh, She also said that gerrymandered maps... Debased and dishonored our democracy, turning upside down the core American
1: idea that all governmental power derives from the people, yeah, it was a very powerful dissent. I don't have the quote in front of me, but it started with something to the effect of like this is the first time we've ever identified a constitutional violation and just said we cannot fix it. We have no way to do so Definitely. and that, it was a it's a it it's, leaves a
0: um, it's depressing, guys. It's so and, where where yeah. does this leave us? Well, and
2: yeah, and we'll talk about impact in a second. Even Roberts said something to the effect of this system is it like can produce outcomes that are inherently unfair kagan
1: said as much she said yes. "Look, the, the the majority agrees with us that this yes, is a yes, problem yes. they just don't believe they, that, that we exactly. can fix it
2: and that gets to where we're at here as i said um the partisan divides in the country probably aren't uh lessening anytime right. soon um and so you know uh we have this uh now system in place that will sort of uh, and bill you talked about how the the act of gerrymandering is becoming like you're able to do it on a much more precise level and much more much more aggressively now apparently you can do it as aggressively as you want um, the the sort of in the negative space of of Robert's opinion he's basically saying it's a it's a political problem that we can't we we the the the, the uh, judiciary can't weigh into and so it it requires a political solution now the problem that the that the minority has here and what you've seen pop up from a lot of critics is yeah, it's a it's a political problem, and you solve political problems by voting. Uh, but this is this is a thing that is meant right. to not uh, have a lot of changes in the way that you vote.
0: I mean, what Roberts is basically saying is we can't d- decide this as a constitutional question. Yeah, Congress can pass a law that says partisan yes. gerrymandering is illegal right. under X, Y, or Z circumstance, and, and then courts could weigh back in with suits that are arising under a statute, yeah. but they just don't have that statute.
1: Yes. The other interesting thing that I uh, I read someone talking about it today was the idea that racial gerrymandering is courts have said is yes, illegal that has been right. struck down. Uh, but what the, the interesting question that this raises now it's it's very unambiguously partisan gerrymandering is not a claim you're allowed to bring. So uh, does a defense to uh, a racial gerrymander start becoming, well, this is actually, you're, you're accusing us of, of your... partisan gerrymandering. Or, and... on the
0: flip side, do people who really want to push back against partisan gerrymandering start making arguments about how if you're Definitely. cordoning off, sure. uh, let's say, Democrats who tend to be um, more people ethnically color, diverse, yeah. maybe those become racial gerrymandering it'll be
1: It'll be interesting. We saw last, uh, last election season a lot of different... Um, you know, different measures to re-enfranchise felons in Florida and yeah. different ballot measures like that. It'll be interesting to see in the next uh, few years if there are ballot measures to, to deal with gerrymandering in the political way that the court is sort of calling out for here.
0: Typically end our show with something offbeat, but we've had so much to digest from the Supreme Court this week, we're going to skip that this time. Um, but I do want to add a few little housekeeping notes to the end of our show today. We're off next week for the 4th of July holiday. Summer
2: vacation! <laughs> Woo. A summer vacation of one week! Not yeah. even.
1: Not even. You know, even, we're yeah.
0: hardworking here. We're hardworking. Yes. Um, but we will be back in two weeks, and we're going to do some more talk about the Supreme Court then, because we want to get into things like the big stats, the big trends, and sort of high-level takeaways. So, join us again in two weeks for that. Uh, thanks for being with me today, Bill.
1: See you then, guys. And
0: Alex. Thanks. We also want to thank our producers, Kelly Marcano and Stephen Trader. Our contributing reporters this week, Jimmy Hoover and Nicole Norea. Music for the show comes from Silent Partner and Little Glass Men. The show is available on all the major podcast platforms, and we'd love it if you subscribe and leave us a written review. It helps other people find our show. If you want to know more about anything we've talked about today, check out our website, law360.com podcast. Thanks, and see you again in two weeks.